Here's Your Red Flag is intended for mature audiences only. Many, if not most, of our episodes will include topics such as psychological, emotional, and physical abuse, and detailed narcissistic and toxic behaviors. We are not professional therapists. If you are in need of professional help, please contact the appropriate authorities. Some names have been changed for anonymity purposes. The opinions expressed by the guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of Lisa or myself. You can find additional information about this podcast in the show notes, as well as on our website, heresyourredflag.com. And we are also on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. I flew up to the mirror Well, there was nothing that I seen You lie and cry The butterfly walk in my eyes You lie and cry The butterfly walk in my eyes Trigger warning we will be discussing a few instances of domestic violence. Please listen with care. Thank you. The National Domestic Violence Hotline states that domestic violence, also referred to as intimate partner violence, dating abuse, or relationship abuse, is a pattern of behaviors used by one partner to maintain power and control over another partner in an intimate relationship. Domestic violence doesn't discriminate. People of any race, age, gender, sexuality, religion, education level, or economic status can be a victim or perpetrator of domestic violence. That includes behaviors that physically harm, intimidate, manipulate, or control a partner, or otherwise force them to behave in ways they don't want to, including through physical violence, threats, emotional abuse, or financial control. Multiple forms of abuse are usually present at the same time in abusive situations, and it's essential to understand how these behaviors interact so you know what to look for. When we know what relationship looks like and means, we can take steps to get help for ourselves as well as better support others who are experiencing abuse. If you or someone you know is a victim of domestic abuse, please visit the National Domestic Violence website at thehotline.org or see our show notes for the link. Thank you. We would like to welcome you all to episode three of Here's Your Red Flag. We pick up with Lisa and my conversation about her abusive marriage to number two. Do you want to talk about how it started turning physical and possibly even worse? Yes. Um, so... I don't remember the year, but I remember the month because it was January and we have five kids combined and all five were with us. We were having dinner and we usually did have a great time at dinner playing games and having pretty good conversations. And the topic of the rodeo came up and the rodeo is a big deal in our city and something that my kids and I have wonderful memories of going to the rodeo and just walking the grounds and eating the food and of course going to the concert but seeing the the rodeo itself we just really love still to this day all that that encompasses and I believe my daughter brought up during dinner that a certain band was going to be at the rodeo and it was foreigner I'll just say it foreigner who I love foreigner and she said would you would you go to that because since he and I 
had been together, there had been no zero of going to listen to music, zero interest in music, which was a huge part of my life. I was in the band from grade six through 12. I played flute, piccolo, and piano, and I played piano all the way through college too. And so music is a huge part of my life and including making mixtapes, giving them get, you know, just all of that and going to concerts. And I, one of my favorite things to do is listen to live music. I don't even care if it's not music I enjoy. I just like doing that. But that was not a part of our relationship at all. And I don't really know why, other than he probably didn't want to do it because I loved it. So, so she asked that question. And so at dinner, I looked over at him and I said, oh my gosh, would you go to that? And he looked at me with this total look of disdain. And he goes, well, if you wanted to, I guess. And I said, oh, really? You would like, I, it shocked me. And he goes, no. And so I dropped it. So, all right, next conversation at the table. That was on a Saturday. Uh, by this time, he was an elder in our church. And so Sunday morning came around and he left early to return his girls home while my kids and I got ready for church. So we were, we arrived at church in different cars. And in fact, my two kids drove there. <laughs> it's so weird. We took four cars to church that day because both of my kids were working and would leave church to go to work immediately after. And, and that's important to the story because this incident happened when no one else was home. So I was isolated and he very much knew how he was behaving because had someone been home, he would not have done what I'm about to explain. He could very much turn it on and off. He would be in our bedroom just berating me, calling me every name, the B word, the C word, the F C word, the W word, and then go right out into the living room and play cards with his daughters as if nothing had happened. And that always broke my heart. So this particular day, my kids went to work right after church. I went home. I started making lunch for us and he came home. And he opened the garage and I always greeted him in the garage, always. And so, like a dog, <laughs> by the way. So I greeted him in the garage and he has a 12-pack of beer in one hand and a six-pack of beer in the other. And he hands me the six-pack and he says, these are for you. And then he lifts up the 12-pack and he says, and these are for me, for having to put up with your ass. Mind you, the whole morning, he had been so sweet, so sweet, brought me coffee while I was getting ready, was just affectionate, just sweet, just like, quote unquote, normal. At church, he was sweet. We sat next to each other. He had his arm around me the whole time. He served communion. He led the prayer. Fast forward, he comes home with this. And I just looked at him and I said, what do you mean? And he said, you just couldn't let it go last night at the table. And I said, about what? He said, about the, the foreigner concert. And I said, I asked you if you would go and you kind of hinted that you might. And then I said, really? That was it. That was the extent of the conversation. But he insists that I berated him over and over at the dinner table about this concert and how embarrassed he was and how I undermined him in front of his children and so he proceeded to, throughout the next two, three hours, drank the entire 12-pack. He completely destroyed everything in our garage and 
to tell you that our garage was spotless would be an understatement. The floor is painted. The walls are painted. The floors are frequently vacuumed and mopped. Everything in its place. You could eat, you could eat off any surface in that garage and, and not be sick. And it would be just like a room in your home. To him, it was. We had flags hung. We had pictures, like cool, cool garage art that he ripped off the walls and shattered glass, broke boards, and threw things at me, toward me. This went on for hours, this fit of his, yelling and crying. He was just sobbing like this, this was a true mental illness. Can I just say that? I mean, it, it truly was. And also destroying property is abuse. And that's something that we have come to learn. Many of the experts point that out. That's abuse. Yeah. And I kept, I would go back into the house. He would stay in the garage. I was sobbing the whole time and scared. But I would go back into the garage to just beg him just to, A, talk about it, to kind of see how, look, dude, I had really only asked you two questions. And then I dropped the conversation because it was clear, you know, to make him see my point. And he, he couldn't do it. And so he was throwing things, you know, at me. And at one point when I wouldn't go inside, he kept yelling at me just to go inside, go inside. I wouldn't go inside. And I was just crying and begging for him to let me explain myself and started apologizing over and over profusely about how insensitive it was of me to ask him to go to a concert. Like I took the full blame for that. And looking back, it's so ridiculous, so ridiculous. But I was apologizing and he said, you know, people, people are going to hell. People are not saved. And you're concerned about going to a concert. We should be out there like missionaries, you know, saving people. And I'm like, what? This is just crazy talk. Where you crazy talk. And so that fit of rage, I start walking into the house and and he'd finally just open the door and push me in and then just slam the door, but my arm hadn't made it all the way inside. And so it just really slammed and just left a really big red mark and bruise there. But I didn't give up. I kept going out into the garage. And at one point he was going to put something in the attic and I was standing right there and he looked right at me not even looking at the attic door, not even looking up, just looked right at me in the eye and just pulled the attic door down as hard as he could, hitting me right above the eye on my eyebrow. And it hurt and it just, you know, kind of, I just saw stars a little bit. Zero compassion, same with slamming my arm in the door. Zero, are you, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. Are you okay? Nothing, nothing, nothing. So I go back in the house with my bump on my arm and bump on my head. And he eventually came inside and completely fell apart emotionally in a way that I had never seen before. Crying. Well, I saw it one other time in, in the grocery store. Well, we'll get to that later, but... <laughs> This groveling, crying, snot coming out, of, just not an attractive look 
for a strong man. And, but he wasn't apologizing. He didn't apologize. It was all about, I don't even know what it was about, but he just had an emotional, complete emotional breakdown. Well, as it would happen, my daughter got off work right around that time. And here she comes home. He, by the way, had me help clean up his mess in the garage. And he destroyed a precious portrait that my dad had made of me. I was probably four years old. It was darling, cute little thing that we had hanging in the garage because it had this really tacky frame. (laughs) And it was perfect garage art because you would never hang it in your house anymore because it was so tacky. But yeah, he, he broke the frame on that and then just hammered the portrait to pieces, put it in the trash right in front of me. It was lovely. So my daughter comes home and I'm praying the whole time that she doesn't notice the garage because it's so different. Things are missing. Big things are missing. So she didn't notice anything. He was in the shower when she came home. He came out. He greeted her as if nothing happened. Like this was a different person that came out of the shower. He made dinner. We sat on the couch and and watch something. I I watched Holt trying not to cry, just in disbelief, again, picking at my food. And he fussed at me, you know, privately for picking at my food again. And that night, I remember him saying something to my daughter about just what a beautiful person she has grown up to be and how proud of her he was and that what a wonderful mom she has. <laughs> I just thought, that's a crock of crap, you know? I mean, no, it was true, but it's that intermittent reinforcement, right? He'd spent the first, the hours preceding that getting completely intoxicated. I'm talking an entire 12 pack. I don't know how he even stood up. Then berating me, a physical abuse, verbal abuse, just name calling to completely switching gears that way. And I knew in that moment that he knew what he was doing. And that was very scary to me. Very scary. What but I didn't that? know what to do. What was that? You said, I knew what he was doing. I certainly didn't call it abuse at that time. I didn't ever call it abuse until you did, until you named it. And that's when that is a pivotal day in my life where the scales started coming off mm-hmm. in big chunks, not just one at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like a, a curtain of the veil was lifted or whatever metaphor. But I... It was interesting to me at that time, the switch that he has to be able to turn it on and off. And that's a hallmark of an abuser versus someone who has a true emotional or or mental disorder Mm -hmm. that they can turn it on and off. The difference between somebody with empathy Mm -hmm. and somebody without. Absolutely. Absolutely. Zero. Somebody with empathy that oops, I, you know, I'm mad. I, you know, hit the, hit the picture frame, whatever. And then would feel remorse for that. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, yes, you had issues with your dad, but you treasured that picture Mm -hmm. that your father gave you. You certainly, you know, treasured it enough to hang it on at least your garage wall. Mm -hmm. It meant something to you. Mm -hmm. And he could just so easily discard it into the trash can. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then not, not a word about it. Not a word about it. So that was on a Sunday. And after dinner, I uh, took him to where he would need to be for work. And we 
I guess, said goodbye. I don't have really any recollection of that, but I was just so wounded and bruised physically and emotionally. And the next day, I got a text from him that says, I shouldn't have gotten so mad at you yesterday. Thanks for the apology. Yeah. Yeah. I shouldn't have gotten so mad at you. And then another incident, if you think I should keep going. Oh, I, I think that the, you know, unfortunately, I don't, I mean, I think people take things like this seriously. And a lot of times it is just psychological. And I shouldn't say just psychological. A lot of times it is psychological without the physical. The thing about your situation that I think is so important for people to hear is it was psychological for the, the majority of your relationship with him and the acceleration rate of it going physical was astronomical. And looking at the, the facts of the final days, it's just pretty obvious that he did not have a bright future in mind for you no. on this planet. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to show that anybody is capable of this if they lack empathy and remorse and don't view other people as three-dimensional human beings as this man clearly (laughs) did not view you you were an object to him for him to to move and manipulate as he saw fit at any given time you know if you if you feel comfortable talking about it I think it's it's helpful for the story and you know I think it'll just complete the picture Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, uh, one takeaway, hope there's more, but one takeaway that if people are taking notes or making mental notes is that his physical aggression increased the moment he realized he was losing control of me. And I don't mean control in, you know, eat five pancakes for breakfast and I only ate three. It wasn't that um, overt control. But I would just start challenging him in little ways by asking things like, what do you, what did you mean by that? Or tell me more. And um, so the, the physical aggression did increase. And one kind of trigger for that for him was um, we used to really enjoy having coffee together in the mornings, you know, on the weekends when he was home, we would really enjoy doing that in the backyard. And he had made some coffee and gone outside and was already there when I joined him. And the moment I sat down, he started criticizing something about me. And he lectured me for quite a while. And when he took a breath, I looked at him and I said, all right, so what are you going to change? And he was so taken aback by that. And if I could find my notes, maybe we could, I don't remember. But you had never challenged him like that before. I had never challenged him before. I mentioned that he treated me like a child, that he did not respect me. He was controlling and things had to be his way. And he never was able to see another side to anything, big or small. And if I remember the rest, we can put it in later, but that was the, ver- the first time that I had challenged him to make a change. And, oh, he said, so what, you want me, you want me to go to therapy or something? Kind of half-heartedly laughing. And I said, well, yeah, 
And yes, he, you know, kind of repeated the question, you want me to go to therapy? And I said, yes. And he just laughed, you know, like, don't be silly, you petulant child, (laughs) you know, very demeaning. And hmm. so another incident where, you know, his physical aggression was increasing was we shared an iTunes account and there were, I got an email that there was a purchase made. And so I, I knew I didn't make, make a song purchase. So I looked at the email and I saw what the song was and I certainly knew I had not purchased that song. So I immediately got a pit in my stomach about that and knew I would in the past years prior to this, I probably would not have said anything to him about it and just stuffed those feelings. But I knew I would have to ask him about it. I also knew that it was a pa- very passive aggressive move on his part, sending, sending me a very clear message that if I did not take care of him, he would find someone who would. It was and a song that implied cheating. Very much. And not only implied cheating, but it implies that the cheater had no other choice but to, to find someone who could satisfy his needs. So when he got home that weekend, I chose a, a time that I thought things would be safe. And so the house was quiet at night. And I asked him if he made the song purchase. And the first thing out of his mouth was F you. But with the word. Yes, with the word. And I just stood and looked at him and I repeated the question, did you purchase the song? I just want to know if you did it because I didn't buy it and the song was purchased using our iTunes account. And he stood up and he said, F you with the word included again. And we went round. That was the most circular, confusing conversation I think we ever had. He would never answer the question if he, whether or not he bought the song until maybe 20 minutes in when he finally said, I just like the beat of it. Now, mind you, music up until this point has not been a big thing for him. He very much downplayed and ridiculed anyone who went to concerts or liked music or bought music even. In and- fact, his job that where he travels a lot, he listens to talk radio. Mm-hmm. you know as far as we know mm-hmm. so then he admits that he he listens he li- he liked the beat but never even bothered to listen to the words which is another hypocritical thing because in the coming months and years then he would send me by the dozens different songs that he wanted me to listen to the words to so he knew he very much knew what he was doing so we went to bed that night. Well, I went to bed. He slept on the couch that night, punishing me for confronting him, which it was not a confrontation. It was just a simple question. Of course, I wanted to know <laughs> why he would want to buy that song, because when you buy it, that means you're going to listen to it over and over. Right. So we went to bed the next morning. He acted very distant, very si- silent treatment again until the afternoon when he had come home from running errands and a lot of, a lot of drinking. He would uh, leave on the weekends while I would do some studying for graduate school. He would leave for hours at a time on Saturday, legitimate errands, you know, to build or fix things at home, but be gone for a long time. And he would buy a small, like flask size bottles of liquor and 
drink them in their entirety while he would be out doing errands. So he would come home very inebriated, but having to act normal. And so he came home that next day after the song incident and came into the bedroom, knelt down by the chair where I was studying, gave me a really, really tender kiss, which does a real number on your brain, ladies, because that's what you're longing for is that tenderness. And, but just the night before was met with such hatred. Mm -hmm. So that intermittent reinforcement is what keeps us going back, hoping for those little nuggets of, of goodness. But as soon as he finished kissing me, he got up, he didn't say anything, went out of the room, came back a few minutes later and came right back to my chair and grabbed me by the neck of my shirt and pulled me just within inches of his, we were pretty much nose to nose. And he said, don't you ever accuse me of anything like that again. And then shoved me back into my normal upright position (laughs) and kind of left the room. And I was stunned. Oh, so stunned. And then he came back a few minutes later and stood in the doorway and said, I don't like you anymore. And then went back. And so you see, it's that tender kiss, the, the physical, right? And then the I don't like you. It's just so many mixed messages. It just creates a poison that we sit in and it slowly kills us over time. I have two things that I left out. Okay, so there's the garage incident, the song incident, and then a third act of physical aggression was when he, I know I've mentioned several times he travels for work, and so he's gone during the weekdays, and he came home on a random Tuesday or Wednesday, not expected to be home at all, got home probably midnight, one o'clock in the morning and came right to my side of the bed and just shook me as hard as he could. And you were, you were sound asleep. I was sound asleep, shook me as hard as he could and said, don't you greet your husband when he comes home? And it took me a while to orient, kind of get oriented. And I said, I didn't even know you were coming home. Well, I'm here, something like that. And I don't even think he did. He did sleep in bed. He had been sleeping a lot on on the couch and on the floor at this point, punishing me. But he did, I remember, yeah, he did sleep in the bed because I had to get up for work the next day. And I usually got up around 5.30. And, and I remember actually feeling sorry for him. Oh, look, he got up, you know, he got got into bed probably 1 30 in the morning yes okay it's all coming back to me so don't you even greet your husband when he comes home and so all of that and then he took a shower took a shower and he went out into the living room drank about a half a bottle of wine and then he came to bed and the next morning when my alarm went off I remember feeling sorry for him that he had come to bed so late after shaking me and then showering and then drinking some wine he'd come to bed so late I was afraid that I would wake him I didn't want to interrupt his sleep and that just a you know I kind of laugh at it now how 
ridiculous it sounds, but it just really points to my frame of mind still looking out for him. Never mind the fact that he he just shook me like you would shake a stuffed animal, not even because you'd give it shaken baby syndrome or whatever, totally disregarding what he had just done. And then maybe the final creepy thing that happened around February or March of 2020 was I was asleep in the middle of the night. He was laying next to me. And I remember laying on my side toward him, but just kind of feeling like someone was looking at me. And when I opened my eyes, he he was kind of leaned up on one elbow looking down at me. And he kind of moved my shoulder a little bit. And he said, are you still alive? And oh boy, that was really, really creepy. And I, I'm sure I said, yeah. And he just laid down and rolled over. And then the next morning I asked him about it. Oh, that's when he said, I had a dream that you died. And that was for sure the, the last creepy thing that happened. But I, I will say that the past months leading up to me filing for divorce, my physical health was greatly affected um, in a negative way. You know, every, every time I would have to go get him on Friday evenings from work and bring him home, oh, my stomach would just hurt and it would really start hurting the Saturday morning, like when we're about to start our, our day together. And then I'd start feeling better on, by Monday morning, I would, I would start feeling better and I'd feel increasingly good until, you know, the following weekend during morning coffee, I'd feel bad again. So also during our marriage, I developed shingles that kept me, I missed five days of school, but I was really bedridden the weekend prior to and after as well with, I had some neuropathy following that and two flare up episodes with it. Even now kind of talking about it, I can, I know the nerves in my face are just really red hot right now, but to have shingles at the age of, I don't know, 42, 43, it's not very common. And I feel certain just, you know, brought on by stress. I didn't think at the time I was stressed, but looking back, I'm certain I was just a big ball of stress. And so the physical, my physical health declined and then has just really improved since since filing for divorce, for sure. Yeah. One thing that we haven't touched on was the, I think many times, because I think of at least three or four times you told me he would imply you were cheating on him. Mm -hmm. And another huge tactic of narcissist is projection. And I'm not saying he was actively having affairs, but you know, the, the song purchase. And I think there were just a few other little, little hints that you had possibly of a wandering eye, maybe, I don't know. You went to work, came home, took care of your kids. The weekend would happen. He, his kids, I mean, you were in a constant state of flow, taking care of your family and his, his daughters every single day you know, week after week, month after month, et cetera. No time to, <laughs> no time for anything. 
and you know it's just i just found it interesting that he the the strange instances he could find to accuse you of having an affair you know and just that projection absolutely it was the month before i i filed for divorce i went to a park with a friend just to walk and of course like a dutiful wife i let him know even though things weren't great between us i was still communicating with him and letting him know if I was headed to the store or coming back from the store or where I was. So I did let him know that I was going to meet up with a friend to walk. And during my walk, I got a text from him that said, send me a picture with your friend so I can put a face to a name. And I just, I just looked at her and I said, can we take a selfie? She's like, yeah, sure. And Oh, just, you know, not wanting to tell her what was going on, but kind of had to give her a little bit because this is so weird. We we'd walked in parks before and not taken selfies because we, you know, no makeup and looking gross. Who wants to do that? <laughs> so, yeah, for sure. You know, he was already thinking that projecting onto me mm-hmm. and by his own admission in things that he's written definitely the wandering eye and, and, and some other, other things as well. And, you know, that takes, reminds me that I had forgotten until now that I went to a theater to see a musical with a friend. This was right around the birthday incident. So we were, you know, seeing each other. We got married in 2013. So this was 2012. This friend and I went to see a musical and prior to we're going to have dinner at this really neat restaurant that has sidewalk seating right outside the theater. And so I, of course, was telling him about it because I was really excited. By that point, I had not really done things with friends a whole lot because he occupied my every thought and place I went it was I was just all consumed by him and very isolated but I was thrilled to be able to go to this musical so my friend and I are sitting at this sidewalk table and here he comes down the street have I told you this no here he comes down the street in a suit in a suit and with his oldest daughter and he just walks by our table smiles and keeps walking during the musical, he called and left a message. It said, I'm so glad I was able to find you. You look beautiful. Have a good time tonight. My jaw's on the floor. And he thought then probably I'm just going to check up on her and make sure she's really with who she's saying and make sure that this Cindy person, that's not her real name but making sure Cindy isn't Chuck or whatever, (laughs) you know, already. But at the time, oh, Tony, I thought how romantic, how sweet that he, and what are the odds, right? Oh my goodness. And what a manipulation of his daughter too, to get all dressed up. And he took her on a date. He took her on a date and up until that point, I don't think we had really been on an official 
date of any kind. And um, so, yeah, early, early on, I guess he was very insecure. Red flag. Red flag. <laughs> yeah. Big, huge. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. He carried it. He was holding the red flag. <laughs> he was, he was, set, he was, you know, looking back, it's almost like he handed me, here's your red flag. Exactly. And I just, oh, look how pretty that is. Let's put flowers on it. And yes. yeah. Wow, Lisa, that's quite a, I don't know, a, I don't even know what to call it. Like a, just a, a journey you've been through. Mm-hmm. You know, quite, quite a nightmare that I was a willing participant in mm. that I, that I really talked myself into and was confused by, oh, just what, nothing about it was easy. It was never easy. And I, I don't really know what, what a normal, healthy relationship should be like, but I have a feeling it shouldn't be that kind of hard. Mm -hmm. I know it's not easy. Marriage or any sort of committed relationship is not easy, but I don't think you should have a stomach ache before seeing the person or after seeing the person or being nervous to say, I want to celebrate my birthday. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I nervous to say anything, you know, it, it, he conditioned you to be nervous to say anything yes. because you did not know what would set him off. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just talking about going to a concert at the rodeo, which is pretty happenstance where we live. It, there's nothing awkward or odd about that at all. And that that could send him into a rage mm-hmm. would have you on your toes all the time. Absolutely nervous about maybe this, if I ask if I should change toilet paper brands, I don't know, maybe that's not a good idea. I just can't even imagine can't even imagine living with a person like that, who you have no idea when the volatility is going to show itself. Right. And I, I think looking back, you know, you were talking about how hard it was while you were probably in it. You didn't see how hard it is, but then coming out of it, it is like you were living in a prison and you were, you were locked away and having to follow just wacky prison rules. Mm -hmm. And then you come out of that and think, how did I survive under those conditions? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it was, it's truly a miracle and God's timing that I, I got out when I did mm. and I'm forever thankful for all of those moving parts that just came together at the same time to enable me to get out and stay out. Mm-hmm. And up till now, almost two years, two years, no contact on my end. Yeah, you're right. And, and to our listeners who think, okay, well, that's the end of Lisa's story. Amazingly, sadly, this is only halfway told. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the next, the past two years have been a true roller coaster for you since informing him that you filed for divorce. It has absolutely, it's a lifetime movie. <laughs> it could be. It, it truly, it truly is. And 
the movie is is not over uh, it still still continues mm-hmm. still continues so we hopefully we'll have you know some official answers soon but i i don't i don't see i actually don't see him ever removing himself from my life permanently although you have removed yourself from his life permanently mm-hmm. absolutely and absolutely clearly clearly no mm-hmm. absolutely so this was a great episode mm-hmm. and I really appreciate you sharing all of that with the listeners. And I know that knowing you and your wonderful ability to prepare that you did spend some time preparing for this and wanting to, you know, really share the important parts. And I think that we could probably make five hours out of what you endured for seven years in that marriage with him. But I do appreciate you sharing, Lisa, and it can't have been easy. I think, especially going into this, maybe a tad bit of a tummy ache, but it's generous of you. And I think it will help other people. And I think maybe help you as well, processing it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you're very welcome. And again, like I, I said last time, if, if there's one person, that we can help by sharing our stories, then this, this will have been worth it. So very glad to do it. So we will see you next time on Here's Here's Your Your Red Red Flag. Flag. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Here's Your Red Flag was written, directed, and recorded by Tony and Lisa and edited by Tony. Our theme song is Butterfly Woke by Jairus. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave us a five-star review. Thanks, y'all.